Before we get started, we've got some news. We're putting on a live show again. We'll be at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, April 17th for a night of Red Sauce America, celebrating old-school Italian-American restaurants. We're talking red checkered tablecloths, chicken cutlets blanketed in marinara and cheese, booze-soaked tiramisu, and more. It'll be an evening of conversations, readings, food, and drinks. You'll hear from your favorite members of the BA Test Kitchen, our editors, and some outside guests. Doors at 6 p.m., show starts at 7. Tickets are $25 each and are now available at www.thebellhouseny.com events. We hope to see you there. It's a Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. This week, we have on Missy Robbins, chef owner of two Brooklyn Italian restaurants. Uh, Missy opened Lilia, her first spot back in 2016 to great acclaim and success. Then last year, she opened the handmade pasta only, well, it's not exactly pasta only, but we're gonna say mostly pasta restaurant, Missy, M-I-S-I. And since its opening has become one of the hardest reservations to get in New York City, uh, I chat with Missy about how she got where she is, uh, her menus, and some tips for making great pasta at home. All right, let's do this. Missy, you're not wearing a uh, jumpsuit. <laughs> I uh, took it off for this special special occasion. It, you have one? <laughs> no, I have about 15, and I literally feel weird wearing pants now. Um, well, can we? Yeah, let's talk about the jumpsuit. Is, is this like a, a collaboration, a custom? Is, I this can't is, believe this is how we're starting it out. <laughs> we are starting it out because you are always in a jumpsuit. This is what happened, all right? Yeah, I want to hear. Till it came out with the jumpsuit, right? Yeah. I got one for my girlfriend. I said, because that's her. Oh, you bought one for her. That's her look. Okay. She said, you should really try it. And I said, I've, ne- I've never worn a jumpsuit. I'm not, I, I, it's not. You said, I'm not a jumpsuit person. Well, I said, it's just going to look silly on me. I tried it on and she was like, mm, I think actually it's kind of pretty good on you. And then I started wearing them and then I was like, oh, this feels good. And then people just started complimenting it and then. I just kept buying them, and now people are sending me jumpsuits to like beyond Tillit. Uh-huh. So I don't have a collaboration with Tillit. Um, why don't you I'm, have one? I'm good friends with Jenny, and okay. we have a collaboration in terms of like she's working on a summer one inspired by me right now, and we'll probably we'll probably uh, she'll probably sell it, but it's coming soon. Um, a very light blue one Ooh, nice. per my request. Um, kind of a periwinkle, or yeah, a... I don't know what periwinkle is. <laughs> I don't. I don't I'm, you're I, much more fashionable. I'm than not I am. sure I do. What kind of an um, Easter egg blue? So anyway, I don't know. The jumpsuit thing has just become a thing, and I, now and now I'm really comfortable wearing them, and I don't have to think about. It's pretty awesome to have a uniform. Like it's I don't. So awesome. You don't have, I don't to, worry about have what to, to think about what to wear. It's the best ev- ever now, but it is a little weird. Like my wardrobe has really shrunk into. 15 jumpsuits. Have you given Tillit input in terms of like, oh, you know, it'd be really great if you did a little slot here to put my thermometer or my pen or something? I give them feedback on fit more than anything. Oh, important. But no. But I have like a friend of mine is is a stylist and she was like, oh, I have something for you. And she brought by a jumpsuit by a friend of hers who's making them now, and they wanted my feedback. 
Which I just, it's not, I mean, me and fashion and giving <laughs> designers feedback just seems like a very silly, silly prospect, but it's kind of fun at the same time. You've, you're like a muse, as yeah, they say. I found, I found my calling in jumpsuits. Um, all right, so you opened Missy last year, and it, it has since become the most popular restaurant in the history of New York. Is, that is not true. No, no, it is true. <laughs> we, did a, we did a study on it. <laughs> <laughs> the history of ever. Um, so far, it's been busy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been, been good. Busy. I'm not, I'm not upset. All right, so I let's talk about the concept of Missy, which I kind of love, but I love that there's not a lot to choose from. You go to some of those restaurants that have like this cheesecake factory menu where there's just like, you're like, oh my God, like, I don't, should I get this? Should I get that? There's different sections. There's just too much choice. Um, you decided obviously to go in the opposite direction with Missy. And I'm curious what the strategy was behind that. I don't know if it was so much a strategy as like a, a passion. And so the idea for Missy actually happened a long, long time ago before Lilia ever opened. And it's something I've wanted to do for a long time, especially the pasta part and the vegetable part kind of grew into it as I became more of a vegetable eater over the past four or five years. And so I've always wanted to do this concept. When we found the space for Lilia, it just didn't make sense there. Like, and I think it would have been a little too ballsy a move to be like, I'm just going to open a pasta restaurant after after I had been gone for two years and I just needed to reestablish myself. And we had this opportunity to have wood fire at Lilia and do all these other things. So it didn't, it just, I wanted to open Lilia and make Lilia what it was. And Lilia does have a fairly extensive menu. Yeah. Pasta, um, and, and pastas are part of that. And as we opened Lilia and people were really responding to the pastas, which people responded to my pastas in the past at Avoce and other places, but not to the way they were responding to these. And I was never known at Avoce for pasta. Mm -hmm. I was just known as like cooking decent food. And so I saw this happening. <laughs> Is that, was that on your card? I cook decent food? I cook food. decent food. <laughs> um, I, I saw this happening and we saw how much pasta we were selling um, and it was sort of just a natural progression that that would be the next thing. We decided to take these two things, vegetables and pasta, that were really, really successful at Lilia and two things that I'm super passionate about and kind of go with it and try it out and see how it worked. And in my, like, idea of what Missy wanted to be, I wanted it to be much smaller. Mm. I, I pictured- Smaller footprint wise, literally? Yes, uh -huh. I, I always pictured it to be this sort of 50 seat place with a counter like, and a bar. Like Isodi or something almost. Yeah, but like it was supposed to really just be focused on that kitchen bar situation. Yep. And then we found the space and we had been, we looked at spaces. My partner, Sean, started looking at spaces like three weeks after we opened Lilia. Yeah. And I was like, you go do your thing, but I'm actually going to keep trying to make Lilia okay. Yeah. And, and that's why I think he's amazing because he knew how long it was going to take. And he had this vibe that we could do a second place. And, um, and it is, I just want to interject, but I just, I think a, lo a lot of times the average food lover, quote unquote, doesn't necessarily realize how important critical it is for a chef to have 
a business partner that they're in sync with who can do all these things like find the space and deal with the lease and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do it yeah. all on my own. And I never, I never, ever, ever wanted to open a restaurant by myself. Like yeah. I always wanted a business partner. And what I found in Sean was a real business partner. And I always thought I would find sort of the front of house partner and he's very involved in the front of the house but not in the like day-to-day of training people on service and stuff like that but um i i really appreciate what like how he operates like that and so he was looking for spaces and we would go look at things and this came along and it was the you know, sort of the second time after Lilia that we both walked into somewhere and said, this makes sense. And it was really about the location and being able to be part of the South Williamsburg community and continue our growth in Williamsburg and not not have to come into Manhattan and sort of continue what we'd already built. Um, And the space happened to be very large. And we decided to just make it work. But I also wouldn't be able to have my very special pasta room if I didn't have a large space because you wouldn't be able to take up that much real estate by doing that. But you also, it, because it was a new build, were you, were you able to basically build and design the kitchen as you oh, wanted yeah, to? Oh, yeah, we did it. We did it from scratch. Yeah. There was nothing. And that's pretty awesome. There, oh, it was amazing. There was nothing there. I made a couple mistakes. But no, all, oh, for, anyone but, who, for anyone who's ever <laughs> renovated an apartment, we all but make over, mistakes. But overall, I like think- Like what? I, what was your number one mistake? Uh, I think I didn't realize like how much, how many hot dishes I would have coming off of antipasti, mm. and and so I that, just like like your vegetables, your vegetables, yeah, starters, and like are... I just don't, I just don't have enough oven space, yeah, and it's really crowded, and I just didn't, I was so focused on making sure I had enough room to cook. 300 pastas a night and have that space that I didn't it's not that there's not space down there it's just not necessarily configured the the right way and you make look you make every kitchen work it doesn't at the end of the day you figure it out and you work around it and whatever um we didn't put wood fire in Missy either and part of me was really excited about that at the beginning and I was like it's going to force me to sort of cook differently and think differently and not rely on this grill that's pretty easy to put amazing food on and garnish and you get amazing cooking and and I was excited about that but I I miss having wood fire and I think I had I was so intent on making it different visually and different technically than Lilia and because it was in the same neighborhood that I I did make that choice not to do wood fire and then I was like well having a wood fire is the same as having like a gas stove like it's a piece of equipment um so that was i don't know if it's a mistake but i definitely yeah. miss having it how, m- how many covers are you doing a night right now on a busy night mm, 275 and so on a typical menu how many starters how many pastas so we have 10 and 10, 10 always. And 10. Has, yeah. that, has that increased? Since it, has not. It's it's not. All, it has not increased or decreased. Um, I'm going gonna, gonna, to read a few right now Go on, your, on your current menu. So we have a yeah. raw fennel and celery with Parmigiano and walnuts, mm, grilled baby artichokes, mint salsa verde. I had that. That's delicious. Uh, some charred marinated peppers with marjoram and whipped ricotta. That's like the ricotta that looks like it comes out of a shaving cream can. Yeah, people are fascinated by it's it. Fascinating. I it, get more questions about how I make that, and it's so because it, it comes on a charred, sim- like a charred piece of bread, yeah. and it looks like um, uh, what's the uh, marshmallow fluff? Fluff. Yeah. yeah, it looks like fluff that comes out of a CO two container or something. So what? What it's was the inspiration really behind that? 
I've always done ricotta like this. Like I, I've always used whipped ricotta. It's really quite simple. You, but it's like it's not just whipped. Yes, it. it, it no, there it's is, not. <laughs> there is not even actually technically whipped. Let's let's. I'll reveal my big secret yeah. here. Um, it goes into a Roboku food processor, and just gets like spun really more than anything until it's super smooth. There's no oil in it. And then, no and then how do you put it on the toast? We put it in a little piping bag. A pastry bag, and it, yeah. A pastry bag, and it gets piped on. So if you're listeners out there, Google Google <laughs> Missy's, Missy Robbins' uh, whipped ricotta toast. And it's, yeah, it's just very cool to look at. It's very Instagram-friendly also. Yes, it's very Instagram-friendly, uh, which it, is not what I think about when I design dishes. But No, but that is, is nice. that is one of those dishes that when you're at the restaurant and it goes by, people are like, oh, what's that? Yeah. We need to get that. Yeah. Um, we sell about fifty a night. Yeah, that's uh, so what, what else? Braised butter beans, Tuscan kale, bacon, Parmigiano, radicchio, melted bone marrow, cipollini onions. I love the vegetable portion of this menu, and I, I do think more and more people, and I think more and more chefs. I think that's probably the, the biggest trend over the last five years that we at BA as editors have noticed is how creatively and enthusiastically chefs are cooking with vegetables yeah, now. Yeah, it's fun and it's challenging. Yeah, you it's know, not just a, a, a steak which you're going to grill or pan sear and that, yeah, that's that. Yeah, it, it really, to me, I've always I've always been more of a fish person in terms of, it's funny, like I like to eat meat more than I like to eat fish, but I like to cook fish more than I like to cook mm, meat. And yeah. I think part of that is having, I, I feel like, Fish really lends itself to, to more creativity, and and I feel the same with vegetables. And they all have their unique properties and characteristics. And all I'm trying to do is really enhance them, and and not really take that much away from them, and not add too much, but bring out the flavors within. Let's talk, all right. Let's talk about the one of my favorite when I was there was your uh, mushroom dish. Oh, that's long gone. Is it coming back? It may. What do you mean some, it may? It was so it good. May. Really? Yeah. Well, chanterelles went out of season. Well, no. I I, get well, that's the other thing about vegetables. Vegetables um, are seasonal. Yeah. So that's also what's um, fun about from a chef perspective. Yeah. Like, oh, I have done artichokes. I can't artichokes wait for well. spring. Like, so, I'm di- I'm dying. Like, well, I I I. Winter's tough. Okay, for me. all right. You know what? So we were having this discussion in a story ideas meeting, and Meryl Rothstein, uh, one of writers, yep. she just said, "You know what? Spring is a myth." And like in New York, you wait, well, wait, and wait for spring, it's true. and then all of a sudden it's ninety degrees out, and you're like, "Wait, what? oh yeah, no, last weekend that was spring." Yeah, the spring food because you think like, "Oh, it's March, it's spring," which is no. not true. No, it's, it's and you're it's waiting and waiting. waiting. And the snowing. only the only two things available spring like right now are white asparagus coming from France. Yeah, that's so crazy expensive and i've seen nettles around from nettle, a couple nettle, of you know what you know what you know people don't like nettles like chefs are always like oh we have a like nettle not, pesto like no one yeah. wants your stinging nettles <laughs> Just, like, yeah they look cool but no one wants to eat those and i'm so eager for spring that i i texted my ramp guy yesterday oh, ramp and was guy. like i know i'm really early but when when R- are you coming you, when are you ramping up? when are you coming yeah and Wait. i was like and by the way we're gonna do twice the volume because i have another restaurant now <laughs> so w- when i go back to missy in the fall and there will be the mushroom dish on the menu how so how do you make how did so you make those were chanterelles that were very, very slowly cooked in olive oil with rosemary. And, and that's simple, right. And that's what I loved about it. it. It was like it, you, it came and you were like, I, it looked like beautiful mushrooms. It tasted like beautiful mushrooms. And you were kind of like, that's all I want and that's all I need. And that's what I love so much about Italian food. Seemingly at its best is that it takes ingredients, 
it treats them properly, but it never overtreats them. Yeah, and that's the that's the goal with every vegetable is trying to bring out the best in that vegetable, and and trying to like sort of come up with unique ways to to deal with them. And I, you know, everyone can saute a chanterelle, and I've done chanterelles and pastas a hundred times, but to take a full dish of chanterelles, like was just fun. People really love that dish. It, yeah. it could come back. It'll come on. My, why not? My sous, but you chef, know what? my sous chefs will not be happy if that comes back. <laughs> they have to clean them all and everything. They have to get clean. Yeah. They go through like six cases of olive oil a day because yeah. of it. Like cleaning yeah. cleaning mushrooms is not fun. But but by, by the time fall rolls around, you'll you'll be ready for it again. Are this? I said an Italian food question. I hope I can answer it. I think there's something about Italian food, like I, about not being Italian. Are you at all Italian? Partly nope. Italian. All right. So I'm going to take 23 and me though to prove it. I'm, say I'm, I'm positive there's something. There's something in there. In there yeah, <laughs> I don't want to necessarily say the best Italian cooks aren't Italian, but just in terms of my own eating habits. All right, love your food. Going back to Ovoce, <laughs> I go to Ultra Paradiso a lot, where Ignacio Matos is the chef, South American. Yep. Jody Williams, not she's not Italian, is she? I don't know. I don't think so. No. I, she, well, her, her partner her Rita is. is so, yeah. yeah. But Jody Williams, that we've had in the podcast at Via Corota and stuff, not Italian. Uh, Claire and Jess over at King, not, not Italian. Ita- oh, interesting. Really interesting pattern you're noticing here. So, but I do think there's something that resonates with cooks in Italian food that there is that respect for ingredients and there's that simplicity, which is not easily gotten until you have a sort of a better understanding I mean, of what good food is. That's how I got into Italian cooking. So, I, I grew up in Connecticut, like I said, and I was always sort of obsessed my mom would take me to the pasta store and to the Italian cheese store and to all these places and what resonated me always as a as a kid was the ricotta and the mozzarella and the olive oil and olives and all that stuff and then when I started cooking as a young cook I was always really most excited when the ingredients arrived that day and that's what excited me the most and I think I didn't I didn't start cooking Italian food until 10 years in my career and once I started I kind of like couldn't I couldn't stop yeah so talk and about those first 10 years quick you we were talking about ten, this in the elevator about where you get started as a chef first 10 years were like picking the best chefs the best restaurants and for me I didn't I didn't want to get pigeonholed I wanted to experience as many chefs and as and as much cuisine as I can I was just talking about this the other day with someone that I thought I wanted to actually focus on Asian cuisine hmm. and, and this was mid 90s yeah and you know Jean George was using yep. all these Asian ingredients I worked at March with Wayne Nish Wayne and Wayne yep. Nish is I think a quarter Japanese yep. and used a lot of Japanese ingredients and influence in the food without it being Asian. And I was really inspired by that, but I was also way more drawn to Italian ingredients and pasta making and all those things. And I I think for me, we talked about, you know, at the time I moved to New York in 94 and there was like a lit. I mean, I remember I did my internship with Wayne Nish after school and I remember giving him a list of restaurants that I wanted to work. And it probably had the top 20 restaurants that I took out of Zagat yeah. at the time. But that's but and, that, weird stuff, but that, there were fewer quality restaurants in the country and also in New York then. Well, and the, there really was that list that you would carry around. And there was like around. a standard yeah. of like you have to go do fine, fine dining or fine-ish dining. And now you can go 
work at a pizza place or you can go work at a ramen place or you can go work at La Bernadette yeah. and your resume to, to me as a chef now is is going to be just as good yeah. because as long as you're working with a good chef who's focusing on their craft you have some sort of skill and while you might not have the fine dining skills or knife skills you're still going to have that passion and that understanding of how a kitchen operates. And I think that's amazing. I think that's an amazing thing for the industry and, and for me now that I'm cooking more casual food and can still get really quality cooks because there isn't the stigma that you have to go work in a super fancy restaurant to get the right experience. I'm curious about having your own restaurant as opposed to working with, so for some, that's for someone else. So you followed up Andrew Carmelini at Avoce. Yes. And you certainly got well recognized and appreciated for your work there. But it, was, it seems to be certainly on a different level than it is now. Working for a place that you were not the owner, yeah. was not your name outside, although they, you know, they spelled your name incorrectly on the sign <laughs> out of Missy. Just want to let you know. But so, yeah, what, what's it like working for someone as opposed to work, working for yourself? Oh, my God. It's the most amazing thing, working for yourself. I, I that Look, I got into this business originally when I was 22 years old and always had this goal to open a restaurant by the time I was 30. And so which, You told yourself that? W- yes. I wow. don't know where that came from, but when I was 22 and I started cooking in college and then I decided to go into it when I graduated six months later – Georgetown University. Go Hoyas. Yes. I went to one Hoyas game my entire time there. Very, very bad. That was a light that was a lightning lightning round question coming up. You (laughs) might you might not miss it. Bad Hoya. Yeah, I I had this goal to open Wise 30, but I ended up continuing to get great jobs. And so like every time I thought I was gonna open a restaurant, I I did something else. So when I I ended up at Spiaggia, and that was a really important mood for me to go to Chicago and re-enter into fine dining where I'd sort of left for a few years to work in a hotel, as we talk about hotels. And then I, before I left Spiaggia, I was trying to open my own place in New York. And I was flying back and forth to New York and looking at real estate. I had zero idea what I was doing. I had to find investors. It was so terrifying to me. And the Avoce job came along, and I and I was like, okay, this can get me back to New York yep. and have some security and have a good job and make a name for myself in New York. And that that from that perspective, Avoce was really important in my career. And I think and I think it was the right choice because if I had opened ten, I came back to New York ten years ago. And so if I had opened ten years ago, Lilia wouldn't be Lilia. Yeah. And. I wouldn't have had the success that I've had because I didn't. I don't think I had the confidence to do it then. And so I think Avoce gave me a lot of confidence. And following, followed by two years off, gave me just a peace of mind and and a new perspective on how I wanted to run a restaurant and how I wanted to be in the restaurant and what kind of food I wanted to cook. Um, and I never opened. So I had that goal when I was thirty, and I never opened Lilia till I was forty-four years old. And I really don't regret that. I mean, I actually almost am psyched about it because I, I really believe that it that it has helped with the success of, of Lilia. And so back to the original question of owning your own place, I mean, I, knock on wood, I hope that it lasts for a very, very long time because I don't want to go get a job ever again. <laughs> I'm lucky I chose a great business partner and we started a company that's um, 
based in the same values and based in wanting to create an amazing environment for our staff and for our guests and being able to do that every day aside from the cooking and the creativity and all that stuff is actually more gratifying to me than the cooking part of it at yeah. this point in my career like I've done no, the you've cooking. been doing it for a long time I've done the cooking for 20 some years yeah and so being able to start a company and be an owner of that company and shape the way that the company moves forward and operates on a day-to-day basis and being able to mentor all of these people is by far the most gratifying thing I've done. Okay. Speaking of cooking, let's talk cooking quickly let's before we get to lightning cooking. round. Yes. So for the home cook, how do we make great pasta at home in the way that you make in the restaurant? So let's take, for instance, you have your very simple, but I imagine delicious, fettuccine with buffalo butter, parmigiana, extra vecchio, and black pepper. Simple as could be. We've, people try to make that there's at home a, sometimes. A, it gets all the cheese a, gets clumpy. It's too watery. There's a book coming watery. out in, a, in 2020 that's going to teach you exactly how to do well, that. Well, let's give them, let's give them <laughs> um, a sneak preview. Listen, I think the most important thing is if you can't make your own pasta to buy very high-quality okay. fresh pasta. Yep. Um, and if you have like a Italy type market, you can. Or if you have yeah. a local market where it makes, yeah. you, buy, you buy the little spool yeah. of fettuccine. Yeah, and if you can't buy fresh, you know, if you're in a place that doesn't have super fresh pasta, you you can buy dr- a very good dried product. Yeah, what you, do you what do you think about like the imported like egg noodle, the dried ones that are, are more, th- the th- yellowy, yellowy pasta from Italy? I I don't use that a lot, mm-hmm. but I think there are very good brands out there. But I also think there's dried, dried, not mm-hmm. egg pasta yep. that you could substitute in this dish. All right, so we have good um, pasta to start with. Good pasta, salted water. Yeah, how? Ve- let's talk about that because chefs talk about how much they salt the water. So if you, you have hate that, don't you? No, All the I, editors hate that. No, I love it. So let's say, let's say you're making pasta. Like how for you're making pasta for two it, people, it you should, and your wife. How much salt are you putting in the water? Taste, it. I'm so bad at like the amounts, but yes. it should. It should taste salty, like saltier than you think. Like yeah. you should taste that water. Like, and yeah. I can tell like when I'm when I'm working and throughout the night I'm tasting pasta, I can tell when my cook's tank isn't salted enough. You can tell in the pasta it'll taste bland. Yeah. No matter how much sauce is on that pasta and the how, pasta itself won't be the pasta no matter enough. how much you sauce it, you you can always taste if the pasta water's not salted. Never put oil in the salt in the water. Yeah, what's that all about? Never. So it ever. doesn't stick together. Ne- that right, but then your sauce will never stick to the pasta. Ooh, nice. So that's okay. the theory behind that. And then again, great ingredients like great, great parmigiano, great butter. Yep. That's kind of the key to my cooking is finding really good ingredients and not manipulating them that much. But that buffalo butter comes from Italy. It is available in grocery stores. I've seen that I, before. Not I, cheap, but delicious. It's not cheap, but it's available. Is that the one that's almost kind of white looking, the yeah, butter itself? Yeah, it's kind of white and not yeah. as fatty. Yeah. Like it almost looks like, I don't want to say watery. Yeah. But no, it definitely. But it has like a lard-like yes, appearance. Yes, very much so. So you've got the pasta, you cook it to almost done. You got a, a fry pan of some sort. Yeah, a little a little saute pan. And you're warming the butter and in there. And you have a little bu- butter and your pasta water. Pasta yeah. water is very important. So you let's talk t- to, for two people, how much pasta water are you putting like in there? four ounces. So that's half a cup. Yeah. Okay. Four, four-ish ounces. Four-ish, based on the size of the pan. And yeah. you can always add yeah. a little bit, like if your pasta starts to feel... So the butter like and pasta water are kind of simmering together? Yep. Dump the pasta in there. Dump the pasta and then marry it for a minute or That's two. That's like when you chefs do the fancy thing yeah, where you we do the elliptically fancy thing. toss. Yes. 
You elliptically toss. So my question is this. So you're making some version of a cacio e pepe, which everyone loves these days. How and when do you add the cheese? Because I think a lot of people, they add the cheese and it clumps up or it gets like sticky in the bottom of the pan. When you're like about to serve it. So you pull it off the heat and then add your cheese. And, and are and you doing? It. You're doing the tossy thing. You're tossing it, but like not on the heat. Yep. And like, you're adding the cheese bit by yeah, bit, kind of. Just like in a nice stream. Oh, you did the little like salt <laughs> yeah. bay thing yeah. where you raise your hand. No, up. Yeah. that's the. Oh, that's the, the pinkies. That's yeah. like the yeah the no, fingers. No, just like yeah. in a little stream, mm-hmm. so that it's like gradually entering the pan. If you throw it all in at once, it's just gonna clump up. Yeah. All right. Okay. So you, yeah, it's glossy, as I like to say a lot. You tossing it, tossing it, cheese. So you get the butter, the water, the cheese. You got that emulsification. Are you the type of person who gets mad if people don't eat their pasta immediately? Yeah. It's like, it's hot. Have you heard that about me? No, but I I imagine you're that type of person. There's a real trend. uh, You mentioned Instagram pretty dishes. Mm -hmm. There's a real trend with the um, young youngsters today to stop and take pictures for like a real extended amount of time. (laughs) And I have definitely been known to go over to tables and be like, eat the food and stop taking pictures. But it's amazing because every time I- You should make t-shirts. Eat the food and stop taking. Pa- yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. Every time I've done it, I've made friends with the people, and they've become huge regulars. There's this one particular group who's probably now been collectively to both restaurants forty times yeah. since I yelled at them. What if it's a cold appetizer like the they like, the, like the ricotta toast with the with the pet purse? Well, the ricotta toast isn't cold because it has warm bread and the peppers well, are- Wow, but it's not like hot Like pasta. a salad to yeah. go to town. Take as many pictures <laughs> as you want. But pasta just, pasta like really changes. My other- Yeah, and, my, the, and, and the sauce also, especially other, a butter sauce kind of, I don't want to say congeals yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it does. My other, my other thing about um, pasta and eating it in the restaurant is I always encourage people to not move it from the bowl to the share plate. Oh yeah, and if they you like, want the you want the good stuff in the bottom like of the bowl and everything. If they know each other well enough, like well, by the time you move it and mm-hmm. then you're changing it, and you just like lose some of the essence of like getting in there and yeah. twirling. Well, because I, I I'm a firm believer that if you take part of it and put it on another plate, the part that's left in the bowl is always going to be better because there's always the sauce sort of collects yeah, on the bottom. Yeah, so of the if bowl. it was if it was up to, like if it was up to me, I wouldn't even offer share plates yeah. in my restaurant. Because I just think it's nice to eat right off the plate, but I think you should I, I become think, you should become more of a dictator. Like, I don't that think needs to be more people, of your reputation. Like, no photos, no share plates. No photos, no deal share. with no, it. No, I like that people are taking photos. I just yes. want them to do it quicker. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, all right, before we get to lightning round, um, to cause a little East West Coast uh, drama. Um, <laughs> Have you been to Felix? What's your Evan Funky take? I have been to Felix. I think what he does is awesome. We're very different. We cook very, very differently. See, that's interesting because we both, I think the average diner, like, oh, they make fresh pasta. They're into pasta. They have a pasta room. Mm-hmm. They're basically the same people. I think I think Evan has this like amazing, um, amazing attachment to real classics. Mm-hmm. Um and and putting his own spin on those yes. on those classics. So if you go and you look at his menu, and I've only been there once, so yeah. but if you go and look at his menu, it's like Amatriciana and Cacio e Pepe, and, and he divides it into region, and you get the pesto, and you yeah. get the bolognese. That's true. Whereas yeah. you 
uh, as quickly. I'm just, all over the map. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we've got some chickpea pappardelle with the chickpeas, rosemary, garlic, parmigiano, spinach and mascarpone filled torte- tortelli with brown butter, ricotta salata. There's a lot going on where you're like, oh, and you have some fennel pollen or this or that on it. You know. But what's interesting is that I used to be more like Evan. Yeah. So when I started in Italian cooking and I didn't know anything and I was working with Tony Montuano in-, in Love Tony. I love Tony too. I saw, he came to Missy the other night oh, for nice. the first time. Nice Um He's but like I, Chicago nice. He's, yeah, but he's also really funny. Yeah, you got to just get him. Give him a couple of tequila. Oh no, shots. I've I've, I've been around. A couple him. tequila yes. shots. He's fine. <laughs> um, but uh, I, what I used to be so strict about, like if you're making bolognese, it has to be bolognese. And I just, as I evolved and evolved and evolved, I just sort of got away from that. And I, I for myself didn't want to cook with as many rules as I used to. And when I opened Lilia, I think, again, going back to the confidence, you know, point is that I think I gained enough confidence and knowledge about all the regional stuff that I felt comfortable enough veering away from it a little bit. But when I started Avoce, I was like, oh, well, you can only call that bolognese if it has those seven ingredients in it or whatever. And then all of a sudden at Alilia, I'm making veal and porcini bolognese that doesn't exist. So yeah. um, I think like a lot of artists like that, they start off with like the core yeah. principles of a technique and then they sort of find yeah, their own But I way. used to just be so much more yeah. like this is the dish and this is how it's done. And maybe certainly at Spiaggia, the goal was to do fancified versions of those dishes and there was always a garnish and a thing but it was still like the dish um and they've evolved away from that also um and but i but i i do think that evan really has an understanding of of true regional especially the Emilia Romagna world. Yeah, I mean, of, understanding and a, and a meticulous appreciation yes. for. Yes. Um, all right, ready for lightning round? Sure. Don't make it too hard, please. Oh, it's not, I'm it's not either or. My, not, oh. Uh, Bellini or Negroni? Negroni. Straight up, regular classic? Yeah. Do you have them frequently? No, not a huge drinker. But, okay. but yeah, I, ha- I mean, that's like my drink. If I'm craving a drink, it's usually a Negroni. Um, all right, Italy, north or south? Oh, man. Well, I've spent more time in the north, and I'm eager to spend more time in the south. There's a lot of butter on your menu, buttery olive oil stuff, which I love. I, I definitely lean that way. I think there's more olive oil than butter. There's definitely more olive oil than butter. Mm, yeah, maybe. My Listen, I've studied the whole country, and, and I my food definitely comes from all over, but... I, I am doing a big southern trip this summer, and it'll be the first time in like Puglia and Sicily and Calabria, and those are places that I use a lot of those ingredients, and I've never been there. Um, so, can I say both? No. Okay. We're, we're giving you north. Okay. Um, <laughs> clogs or sneakers? Sneakers. What kind? At work. Uh, these days, Adidas. Stan oh. Smiths. Okay, cool. That was a good one. Chuck or Axe? What? <laughs> Billions. Oh. Oh, you know I like billions. Yeah. Oh, act. TV show or cookbook? What does that mean? <laughs> what would you rather have? You can have a TV show or you can have a cookbook next year. Well, I'm having a cookbook. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> What's, is there a name and when does it come out? It doesn't have a name. It is all about pasta. And it'll be out? T- uh, fall 2020. Fall 2020. Yeah. All right, look for that. Call Me By Your Name or La Dolce Vita? Mm. Wow. 
Call Me By Your Name was an incredible movie. I'm going with it because I've seen it more recently. It makes it that that was the one film where it felt the most like you're just hanging out in Italy. That was that you was know. an amazing movie. They really captured the vibe incredibly well. It was a gelato question, which mm. you serve only serve at Misi, only dessert. Um, pista- I like how you say Misi. Misi, <laughs> uh, pistachio or hazelnut? Oh, pistachio, which just went on the menu. Ooh, I love a good pistachio, like a real pistachio gelato. Please come that's by. Nutty tasting and please, not just green. Please, it's not green. Yeah. First of all, it's like puke yeah. color, and um, that probably doesn't. No, that's right. not a great yeah. selling point, actually. <laughs> but it's not bright green. It's made with real, real pistachio, and we chop um, Sicilian pistachios to mm. put in it. And oh my god! It, oh, it, so we have the crunchy. It's like a crunchy yeah, peanut butter sort of thing. Ooh, yeah. That's, yeah. Why you don't get that ever? Like with gelato it's i don't know. Like, i worked on this pistachio right. like a ridiculous i'm coming for that uh i was gonna ask you ai or alonzo but since you only went to one hoya game i'm not sure even you know alonzo, who they are he used to hang okay. out uh, he used to hang out on my uh floor all okay the time. i think he was dating someone in my dorm my <laughs> sophomore year i imagine all right good answer i um, have a father and a brother who also went to georgetown oh, so okay. georgetown basketball was in your uh, blood in my in in the world yes uh, long sleeve jumpsuit or short sleeve jumpsuit? Uh, begging Jenny for a winter long sleeve. Yeah. Seasonal. It's, just like, it's seasonal. like your vegetables. You have yeah. seasonal jumpsuits. Seasonal jumpsuits, have you, Do you ever do like the more linen-y jumpsuits? Or are you waiting, pretty, waiting. Waiting for it. Waiting the for one that she's working on for me now is, is going to be much thinner because oh. my feedback to her last year when I started wearing the jumpsuits, it was summer, and they were really – they're very hot. Yeah. And even like outside the kitchen, in the kitchen, they're just hot. Yeah, despite, those ones are, the, the toad ones are more work, like work suits. Despite little, the fact yeah. that they are um, short sleeve. Um, subway, bike, or Uber? Mm, Uber. <laughs> All right. Living large. Uh, a couple more. Um, how about clams or oysters? Clams. That's an, that's hands down. Do you typically do them in a pasta? Do you prefer them Vongole style sort of? I, I like clam pasta. Yeah, I do too. Quite good. Um, okay, what about salt, fat, acid, heat, or ugly delicious? Salt, whatever it's called, salt, fat, yeah. acid, heat. <laughs> but you yeah. got it. Yeah. It's a fun show. I, I mean, it's beautiful yeah beautifully shot informative exactly yeah, i love it um all right last question butter or olive oil olive oil thank you miss robbins thank you the bon appetit Foodcast is produced by carrie polis and christina che and produced and edited by emma wartsman our theme music is by nathaniel wartsman We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.